Well, the background's a bit different, isn't it? We're in our new digs now. We had to get offices, and those of you that uh, saw the first video of the year, our Monday morning message a couple of days ago, got to see one of the rooms. And this is the other room. There are two rooms here, so we can use this for meetings and for uh, video and production. We're hoping to make these a lot better. But as I'm moving the camera around today on a 60 degree cloudy day when I'm doing this, just before the new year, it's time for us to re-engage with Romans. Romans 15. You really can't just jump in at 15 if you've missed 14. In fact, I'd love for you to hear all of Romans, but it is imperative that you know that Paul is in the middle of a sermon here. And that if I had been in charge of making chapters, and I would have made many mistakes, so I'm not knocking those who first divided the Bible into chapters. Although I wish they wouldn't. If I had done it, it'd been Romans chapter 14, verse 1, through chapter 15, verse 7, because that's really the nugget here in Paul's sermon. So, saying that, assuming you've been with us before, here we are, Romans 15 and verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. The battle between who is weak and who is strong, we talked about last week, it is a real struggle because there will be people who will come up, no matter what you do, and they will say, well, I was offended by that. Were you? For what purpose? Um, were you offended for yourself? Did something about what we did insult you? Are you offended for somebody else? Uh, are you assuming that what was said or done bothered somebody else? And so you'll be offended for them and be their spokesman. You see a lot of that in this world. Or were you offended because you think we did something to pollute and damage your church? None of these positions, by the way, are positions of weakness. You're coming at this from a position of strength. Whenever you say, I was offended, what you are demanding, asking for, however you want to phrase that, you are requiring somebody else to engage with you and to change or modify their behavior for you. The person who is offended is the power person here. They're the ones that control the room. Now, again, this is not far after the holidays, uh, just a week or so. You may have had somebody in your family. Oh, I hope it wasn't you. But you might have had somebody in your family who was offended. No, that's not the way that goes. No, you don't make it that way. You do it this way. No, we always have the presence here. And then we, there are those people in families and they are offended and they want, they don't think you're doing it right. Therefore, they want you to change. Who's the power person here? It's the complainer. It's the offended. It's the one who wants change from somebody else. So let's say that on a Sunday, uh, you're in a traditional church, and I'm going to let you define traditional however you want. And the minister says something, or a song hits you a certain way, and several of you clap. Now again, if you're in a clapping church already, that doesn't count. But if you're not, several of you clap and you say, thank you, Jesus. 
people turn around. And if one goes, well, I was offended by that. No, they weren't. To be offended, you would have to personally insult them and you may not even know them. Therefore, you don't know how to insult them, right? You, you weren't going for that. But when they say, I was offended, what they are saying is, I'm a powerful person and I demand that you cease. You see, there's the thing. People have been reading this for centuries, millennia. A common person didn't have it until 15, 1600s at the earliest. But still, go with me. People have been reading this and flipping it to where we can't offend Brother Smith. That upsets Brother Smith. Brother Smith is not offended and Brother Smith is not upset. Brother Smith is calling for his power to be recognized and that you have to bow down to it. The weak person in this isn't Brother Smith. And so whenever it says here, don't cause doubt among the weak and don't trip or be a stumbling block for the weak. And that those of us that are strong ought to bear with failings of those who are weak. We're not talking about Brother Smith. And by the way, if your name is Smith, I'm just pulling the name out to the air. All right, it's a common name. Don't bow down to the power players. I've had to actually talk to elders at a, and bishops or shepherds in many different churches. And whenever they want change and they want something else done in their church, they will say, well, I've had people come up to me and these people were very offended by this, or I've had a lot of people come up to me and say this. Several things strike me. First of all, that's almost never true. They're lying. Because if you ask them to make a list, immediately they'll go, oh, no, 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 got to keep confidentiality. No, nope, sorry. We, um, you're a 501c3. The rules are whoever runs that organization, we have to have their names. And these people are running the organization through you as a mouthpiece. You're basically a pipe at this stage. You're the other end of a telephone. You're not being a shepherd. You are repeating what other powerful people have told you they want. See how this works? Hope so, because this is serious stuff. This is very, very serious stuff. What does it mean? We ought to bear with the failings and not to please ourselves. We'll look at the next verse. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Now he's going to use an illustration here, but just be aware to build them up gives rise to another church word called edification. Most of us have heard that word. A big building is an edifice. So edification means to help and build and build someone up. So let's say that somebody next to me does something in worship which surprises me, startles me, or maybe even upsets me. It's hard to imagine what they would do to offend me unless they were a professional protester or somebody who had come in to intentionally disrupt the worship. All right, and generally, you'll live your lifetime without that. But if they did something which surprised and startled me and broke my mood or whatever it was, I'm supposed to let that go. Because my job here is to build them up, 
not get them in line, not force them to conform, but rather to build them up. Now, sometimes that means that I might have to tell them, you know, you're going to get a little bit better if you try doing it this way. Or can you tell me what you meant by that so that I can understand and be a part of it and encourage you? Generally speaking, people will be quite helpful for this. Uh, we had friends in one church we served who just weren't used to church. And so they'd start talking to me during a song. And I'd be saying, oh, we're, we're singing a song now. And they're going, yeah, but there's this thing. And they don't lower the voice because they don't have a church voice. They haven't been to church. And it was, uh, I didn't look around, shh, hush. It was more like, sure, let's go on out in the lobby and talk for a bit. Was it a bit disruptive? Sure it was. Any more disruptive than a first century church? Absolutely not. They were coming and going. It was a noisy place. In fact, that upset many of the original Christians who were by and large Jews because their tradition was different. And Paul's writing to them all and saying, don't worry about you. Be concerned with helping them. I've gone so far as when one stomped up to me and said, I was offended. Something, well, they, the way they put it, I was uncomfortable with something that happened in worship today. And I looked at them and I said, and we'll talk about that. But the first question I have to ask you is, what made you think we were planning to make you comfortable? And two, why did you think it necessary to tell me you were uncomfortable? And this reveals, by the way, a power play. It's not a weakness. It's not a failing of their faith. We're not driving them from the faith. We're not a stumbling block. What they are doing is doing a power play to call us back in line. And if you're recognizing yourself in this, I'm telling you right now, it's Jesus's church, not yours. Paul says, cut it out. And if you believe Paul when he talks about baptism and you believe Paul when he talks about grace, then you'd better believe Paul when he talks about this. He, this is a sustained sermon and Paul often will chase rabbits all over the place, but this one is a sustained sermon. He's making a point. It's probably good to listen. In fact, because he, look at the illustration he uses just next. For even Christ himself did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Now, we look at that, at least I look at that and go, what? Paul was very inventive in the way that he grabbed and used scriptures. But what's going on here when he talks about Jesus? Jesus didn't walk around getting offended. Can you imagine how he could have been by their lack of faith or by coarse joking or by, you know, you know, whining and complaining? You know, he's God and he knows that he's about to be nailed to a tree in a few years. And yet you don't look around it and then see Jesus going, well, what about my needs? You made me very uncomfortable. In fact, have a look, have a look at the miracles Jesus did. How many of them benefited him? When he fed others, do we see him eating? He healed others. Do we see him making himself more comfortable? No, we're not here for that. We're here to help others. 
there's the old Peanuts cartoon about that because there's a lot of theology in those early Peanuts cartoons. One of them said, well, what are the others here for? And the, uh, well, the character goes, well, I guess they're here to cheer us up. And Linus yells, well, somebody, I think it's Linus yells, well, somebody's not doing their job. Well, do your job. Uh, it's not maybe cheering each other up, but building each other up. For everything was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scripture and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you, oh boy, are you seated? The same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you know what's tragic here? Tragic beyond belief. Whenever you look at this and talk about, well, you know, bear it out, take it, be the strong person who doesn't have to complain and do power plays. It's flipped on its head. People will say, no, same attitude of mind and judgment. Therefore, we all have to agree about everything and so you got to agree with me about everything from flood to virgin birth to creation story to what songs we sing and that absolutely explodes the meaning and context here rips it right out and throws it away because he's saying have the same attitude toward others that christ jesus had and the only people jesus got furious at were the smug religious people who were pulling power plays and acting offended. He didn't like that. So it's wrapped up in verse seven. Therefore, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. There's something that's gonna keep you busy. Um, I've been on this planet for quite a while, had my 65th birthday a few weeks ago. And I've got to tell you something, accepting others as Christ has accepted me is the job which humbles me most and which I have to remind myself of probably most. I can love people a lot faster than I can accept them because you can love people and it's kind of a, it's a philosophy, but to accept them means you give them room and you give them room in your life. And God says, you just do that for them like God does that for you. And it's easy for us to forget this and to decide that the sins we have are relatively minor, especially compared to the sins of others. Therefore, um, God's acceptance of us was a lot easier for God than for God to accept people like them. I don't know about you, but that just steps all over my feet. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Back um, when I was working in, in one particular church, I remember it very plainly. The deacons there didn't really know what to do. The, it, was, it was a poorly organized congregation. And one deacon had gotten the fire under him to do some things that were very worthwhile doing, by the way. And he was struggling getting enough people 
to help him to show up and to do the work. And he came to me and he was about ready to quit. He had had enough with these people. He just, and I, I let him go for a while, then I stopped him and we read Romans 15, seven. Then I said, have you always answered what God wanted? How patient do you want God to be with you? I would submit that you should be that patient with these people. Now it worked and it worked for a while and he needed to be reminded every now and then of it because he was like me. I need to be reminded of it too. How about you? <laughs> Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth. So once again, Paul's really stressing. Christians didn't bump the Jews out and God didn't turn his favor from them. Christ became a servant to them on behalf of the truth of God so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Mercy. Yeah. Ah, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. I mean, he's getting those from Psalms. He's getting those from 2 Samuel. He's getting those from Deuteronomy. He really liked to pick, but he's not done. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations in him, the Gentiles will hope. So may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. A few words about that I think are, are called for here. Of course, he's referring to prophecy to show the Jews that God always intended to bring in the Gentiles. But he's also reminding the Gentiles that Christ was a servant to the Jews to fulfill the promises of God. Neither of us will ever be above the other. God's love is on us all. And we are not to displace each other. But that may God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. How does that work? We actually, he tells us. We tend to blip right over it because we're getting near the end of the book and we start hurrying. How do you get all hope and peace? He says, because of your trust in him. I can remember learning to swim and I, I knew that the properties of water um, were you know, antithetical to my ability to breathe. I did not care to be baseless, have no foundation, be in water over my head. But I had to learn to trust the people who told me, we got you and this will work. It wasn't instant. There was a lot of testing. There were some tentative moves. And I would assume we're gonna all do that with God too. Testing, tentative moves. But eventually, the only way to swim is to let go and go in. And the only way to have that joy, the only way to have that hope and peace is to trust God that he's got you. That he loves you. It's gonna be all right. Now, he really begins to wind up to the end here. 
I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Don't you wish all ministers felt that way about their people? And don't you wish all people in a church felt that way about the others? They're full of goodness. They have knowledge. God has worked in their life. They have a story to tell. Maybe you think your story is more important or that you're better at telling stories, but back off a bit there. Instead, let's just assume the best. Let's assume the best of everybody. I have some stories I want to tell, but I don't think it will. <laughs> um, yeah, he says, I've written, I've written you boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He's saying, listen, guys, I know you know this stuff, but sometimes we need to be boldly reminded of what we already know. Peter will use that phrase in his epistle. This is the same. Sometimes we just need to be reminded that other people have a story and God's already working in our life somehow. So let's not assume more than one. Let's learn from each other, share with each other, and here's an idea, build each other up. Therefore, he says, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Holy Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way down to Elycrim, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Fully, yeah because the gospel of Christ is simpler than we try to make it. And we saw that when we were going through the books of Corinth, the Corinthians, the first and second, that Paul says, you just need to know Christ and him crucified and then live as an ambassador of Christ. We throw all these extra chains on people, but those are not forged in heaven. He says, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. Paul would have liked to go to Rome. He didn't found the church there, neither did Peter. Uh, we don't know who founded it. Most likely there were a group uh, of Jewish converts who had moved there, and then Gentiles were also converting and they go to Rome for business, they find out, they move into this, this study group, this worship center, this community of faith. Well, however it worked, it was a very powerful church by the time Paul wrote it. And he said he would really very much like to come to them, but he's often been um, hindered by the fact that he has this passion to take Christ where nobody's heard about them before. We have friends like that, people who are watching uh, and a part of our Safe Harbor Church that are in places like Madagascar, Kyrgyzstan, Turkey, Armenia, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Malaysia, places where it's a little harder to hear about Jesus Christ than it is here in Middle Tennessee. And of course, we have people all over here too. And this may shock you. Most people really don't know Jesus at all. 
they real what they know are church people and that's not always a blessing sometimes we have to deprogram the church people out of their experience and just show them no there's a way to follow jesus in love and grace and then and of course here i'm slandering millions of really good church people but i hope you understand the point i'm trying to make i hope that you don't take offense and then use that as a power play he said he wants to go to rome he says but now that there's no more place for me to work in these regions and since i've been longing for many years to visit you i plan to do so when i go to spain and i hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after i've enjoyed your company for a while so he's still on the move at this point paul doesn't know what's going to happen to him later obviously now however i'm on my way to jerusalem in the service of the lord's people there for macedonia and achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the lord's people in jerusalem they were pleased to do it and indeed they owe it to them for if the gentiles have shared in the jews spiritual blessings they owe it to the jews to share with them their material blessings so after I've completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Jesus, of Christ. <clears throat> that little talk about the people of Macedonia and Achaia, he's just saying, giving is what we do. And the Gentiles have gathered funds for the people in Jerusalem and for the Jews that are poor as they've been scattered. And Paul's saying, and they should do that because they're, they're sharing in the spiritual blessings of the Jews, so they should share in their material blessings. Just like the end of Acts chapter 2, giving to each other, not concerned about our own stuff, but openly sharing. And he closes the chapter this way, and we'll close this lesson this way as well. We will do a quick run through chapter 16 next week and then get to our next book which is no you'll see we're going in order of written so you can probably google and make some good guesses i urge you brothers and sisters by our lord jesus christ and by the love of the spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to god for me i only function because people are praying for cami and me that's the only way i've ever been able to make it and especially this last year I feel like somebody else has been holding my arms up and praying for me the entire, every minute of every day. Thank you. Pray that I might be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. I'm, I'm sure it would be favorably received. Can you imagine how it wouldn't? Well, there might be a couple scenarios come to mind, but I pray like this all the time, Father, Help me have the right words at the right time to the right people and help me not grow weary, keep me healthy and give me strength for the journey. It's a simple prayer, but it's a big, big request to make of God. And then he goes, so that I may come to you with joy. In other words, I wanted to be a happy trip by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Sounds like he's, he's checked out now, but he hasn't. He's going to do a list of people that have served with him. Let's say a couple of other things that we're going to have to pay attention to before we move on. 
Well, I hope you had a great Christmas and New Year's. Here we are, the first full week of the new year. Let's get it started by getting our minds in the Word and our eyes on Christ. And if our Safe Harbor can help you in any way, let me know, patrick at rsafeharbor.com. All right? Okay.